three songs at the beginning and not one in the middle. So we're going to have the Bible reading now and Heather's going to bring that to us. Now Heather's got the, the hard straw because she's got all names just about. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through to verse 21. So apologies if I pronounced them wrong. <laughs> A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Anamdab, Anamdab the father of Nashim, Nashim, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Joseph, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Joshua. And Joshua, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile at Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtel, Shealtel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, Abiad, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Christ. This is how the birth of, of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, it did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Amen. You could almost give her a round of applause, I reckon. I'm trying to do that. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Lots of names, aren't there? Lots of names. Uh, but we're uh, into week seven of our Bible in ten, and the true story about God, the world, and us. And we've hit Jesus. We're at that point, and we're at. 
uh, his genealogy. And we're going to see why that genealogy is so important this morning. Uh, sometimes I think we read it and we go, ah, forget that, I'll jump to the next section. But that's actually really, really important. And it ties together a whole lot that we've been talking about. Uh, because we've been talking about uh, how shame, haven't we? We've been talking about what shame is and how it impacts us and how it impacts everything that we do. Uh, and sometimes we get into situations, aren't we, where shame hits us. Uh, have you ever found yourself driving the wrong way down a runway street? Yep. Uh, this photo is on uh, Flickr and they said that this driver came round the corner into this one-way street and was faced with all these cars and the guy who took the photo said, well that's normally not too bad. What happens is people do it all the time because of the intersection that they're on. Uh, but this time when, it, when the person came round, normally what happens is they stop, they back back and they go back the other way. But this person decided to keep going. And so they've kept going and they've gone up onto the side of the road and they've been stopped by a green rubbish bin in front of them. Uh, but they're eventually they were able to get out and turn around. But sometimes that's the case, isn't it? I think sometimes that's a bit like us in the world. Uh, we've taken a wrong turn in life and we're going down the wrong way, but rather than turn around, we keep going. We keep making our way down that way and finding ourselves stuck and heading in the wrong direction. Uh, well, today we're going to be seeing that that has been the situation for Israel. Uh, they've been in that road, they've been going down the wrong way, uh, they've kept hitting roadblocks and face, but they've kept pushing their way through. And they've kept thinking that they can live their lives their way, not under their king who is God. And as we've been with us over this last seven weeks, you'll see that sometimes we think, Israel, how did they miss that? But actually, how do we miss it as well? Because so often we do that. So often we head down the one-way track, but actually we need to turn around and see the answer. And that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to turn around and we're going to see the answer that there is one way, but it's not down the wrong way, but it's the right way. And we're going to see as we turn around and have a look at this person, Jesus. Because we've been doing that, haven't we? We've been looking at this whole story of the Bible. Uh, from the beginning to end, it is a story. All these 66 books, even though written at different times and different places by different people, actually has one storyline from beginning to revelation. And we've been watching that storyline progress. And we've been seeing that storyline work through all of the Old Testament on the writings there. And now we've jumped into the New Testament. And within all of that, we've been thinking about that whole situation of what happened back in the beginning. But back in the beginning, when man, Adam and Eve, decided that they could run their lives better than God, and when they rebelled against God's control, things changed. And we've been thinking about what that looks like, haven't we? We've been thinking about this thing called shame and how that has been going on and on, and that shame is deep within us, and it's something that really does impact who we are, that really does feel that, you know, even when... There's sometimes right to feel bad about what we've done, but then sometimes other people make us feel shame when we shouldn't. But yet, within all of that, we still get this deep sense within us that something is not right. That something is wrong. And it is. It's true. Something is wrong. That sense of shame, that sense 
if something's not right, it's like an indicator light on your car. The indicator light on your car tells you there's something wrong, generally, unless you're off the Big Bang Theory and she drives a car with an indicator light on all the time. But that's telling you something's wrong, isn't it? Something is wrong, and there is something wrong for all of us. There is something wrong with us, and that thing that is wrong with all of us is sin. And that sin compounds and causes shame. Uh, if you remember, this is called lady called Breen Brown. Uh, if you've looked up her YouTube stuff, it's really, really good. Uh, she talks about how shame is one of the deepest emotions within us that just determines so much about what we do. Uh, her quote is, shame is the most powerful master emotion. It's the fear that we're not good enough. Well, that fear is actually right, isn't it? Because we're not good enough. All of us are broken. None of us are perfect. We've just had that time in prayer, haven't we, about the brokenness in the world around us. It's not that we're not perfect. Sorry, let's say it again. It's not that we're comparing ourselves against anyone else in the world. So that's a different thing. When we start to compare ourselves against others, that's not the point that shame is here or sin is here. It's that we, when we compare ourselves against the one who is perfect, the one who is exactly as we should be, then we are broken. And that hits us, doesn't it? Because right back at the beginning there wasn't that. Back in the garden, there was no sin and there was no shame. It wasn't broken. And his wife were both naked. Adam and Eve, and they felt no shame. It wasn't there. And it's not supposed to be there. But it is there. Because they broke that, didn't they? They decided they could run their lives their way. And the first thing that they did was they hid. They hid. And that's what we don't, we? We try to cover up. Try to cover up the stuff that's going on the inside of us, but the cover-up doesn't change the brokenness, does it? The cover-up just tries, we put up these facades and these barriers and these things to try and cover up, but in the end it doesn't deal with it. There's got to be something better. There's got to be something or someone that deals with that brokenness to change it. And that's where we come today. And that's where we come to in Matthew. Because that was the promise that God gave that there is going to be someone who's going to break this. There is someone who's going to deal with this. And the very first part of chapter 1 in Matthew chapter 1 it says this, doesn't it? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now this is really important. It's been 400 years from the last word we heard from God in the Old Testament. And the very first words we hear from God in the New Testament are these. And they're important. Why? Because they're the words that God said back earlier, didn't he? He said that he's going to promise a saviour to come. Uh, I don't know where you've got on to this, but there's a place on the, uh, the, the internet where you can actually find out the current world population. And on that world population, you can see it ticking over what's happening. Uh, generally, there's, uh, I think it's three births to one death is the average of the way it works out uh, as it goes on. Uh, and the population keeps going on and going on. And as all those children are born, 
I don't think we realise, but all those children are being born into this story that happened back in Genesis, isn't it? All our children, all you and I, those seven billion people that are out there now, have all been born into Adam's story, into that story of sin and shame. And that they're all coming into that story. I don't think any of us think when our babies are born that they're going to grow up to be thieves and liars and deceivers, do we? But that's what they're born into. That's the story that they're born into. But there's one child that was born out of all the billions of children, out of all history, who changes that story. Who brings a new story. And that's the birth of Jesus. He is the one that changes all of that because he's the one perfect baby who grows up into the perfect man. And so that's what it says right back at the beginning, doesn't it? Uh, in Genesis it says in 3.15, uh, I'll bring an offspring of yours that will come and deal with this sin and shame. The big problem in our world, the big brokenness in our world, someone is going to come, someone's going to turn up. And then we find out, don't we, that uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and he said, I promise you there will be an offspring of yours that will bring this. There's a promise that this will happen. And then again uh, to David he says, there will be an offspring of yours that will come. The promises are from Adam to Abraham to David that there will be an offspring that will come. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 1, we hear it, don't we? You see, all these names here are there for a reason. The very first ones there are there for a very big reason to say that everything that has gone before this has come to fruition here. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the one you've been looking for. Here he comes. This is it. The Holy Old Testament is coming up to this point here, to this one person. The one that's going to deal with it, isn't it? The son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the one true king that we've been waiting for. Oh, yeah. You see, the genealogy of Jesus is very important. Uh, I know there's people here, though, Sam's not here, but Sam loves her genealogy. And when she goes into a genealogy, she goes and checks through all these things. And it goes back and back and back and back. Uh, and genealogies are important. And Jesus' genealogy is extremely important. Because he's the fulfilment of the promises that God has made. And in this genealogy, it's really interesting because uh, as he read through with Heather, as he went through, I don't know whether he picked up, but in this genealogy, there's some very dark skeletons in the cupboard. Most of our genealogies probably do, and we want to cover them up. And if you were writing something, you'd think it was just be, you know, really get out there to be really, really good about something. You'd think maybe you'd cover up those skeletons. But Jesus' genealogy doesn't cover up those skeletons because those skeletons are important to the story. There's the genealogy that said of David, the son of Abraham. And when you see it, he goes through. Uh, he says that there's right at the end. So the beginning, it's important, verse 1, and then verse 17. They sort of are the bookends of these, all these genealogies. The first one's really important. It's about the promises. And the last one, again, 
helps us see about it. Because what we see is we see promise, promise, disaster. You see that? 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, disaster. And then promise again at the end of fulfilment. And so that's what happens in the genealogy. If you go through these genealogies, you see that there's promises and then it goes chaos, promises, chaos, promises, chaos, all the way through, uh, right through. And there's a whole domino effect. It continues, doesn't it? This goes bang, 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 all the way through. I don't know whether you've noticed, but if you look at them uh, and you go through, you see there's Isaac and Jacob. Uh, life is not good for them. Uh, there's a cheat amongst these guys. Isaac cheats Jacob out of his inheritance, but God still works through that line. Uh, and then there's Judah with Tamar. Well, that's incest. Uh, Judah sleeps with Tamar, and that's his, I think it's one of his husband's, his brother's wife. Uh, so there's incest that happens in there. It might even be his daughter somewhere along the line. Then we get down here to David. Uh, what does he do? Well, he goes off and has an affair and sleeps with uh, Uriah's wife. It's not a very nice picture, is it, of all these ones within this. This is, this is his dark closet that they're going through here. And then uh, Solomon with uh, Rehoboam. Solomon goes off with hundreds of, of wives and then goes off and worships all these different gods. But this is the line of Jesus. It goes all the way through. And then we have Rahab. And she was a prostitute. And in that line, she's one of the good ones. Because she actually believes in God's promises more than a whole lot of the other guys do. And she actually saves people. But do you see this line? This line of Jesus? It says that these promises, God still works through all this broken, messy stuff. Naaman was the father of Josiah. Well, Josiah was pretty good too, wasn't he? He actually came up and he found, last week he found the, the book of the law brought it out and things started to go well again and then disaster. It just keeps coming, doesn't it? Promises, disaster, 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 promise, disaster, 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 promises. When's this all going to finish? When's this all going to end? When is this sun going to turn up? Who's going to deal with the problem? The real deep-rooted problem here is sin. It expresses itself in shame. Who's going to deal with it? Well, Jesus deals with it, doesn't he? That's what he comes and does. That's what Jesus is here to do. He's the one way. The one way that we need to go, the one way that we need to trust, because he's the only way within all this. You see that uh, God's world at the end of the Old Testament is broken and destroyed. It looks like it's the end of everything. But then here we see that Jesus is actually going to bring it back. They were in exile. They were away from God, out of the presence of God. And who's Jesus? He's Emmanuel, God with us. See how he brings it back? The exile, they're away from God, but Jesus actually comes in and steps in. He's actually God with us. He's the one that brings everyone out of exile because he actually is God here amongst us, amongst them. And not only is he going to do that, but he brings them back from exile because he deals with the most important thing 
because of everything else, he comes and he will save his people from their sin. In verse 21. And he calls us to repent and believe in him. See, Jesus does a lot of things. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He shows us life. But all of that is actually secondary to the main thing he does. He brings forgiveness. Because he deals with our sin. Often we talk about purpose and meaning and that's what it is to follow Jesus. And, and they are all true. But they're only true because first and foremost, Jesus brings us forgiveness and he deals with our sin and our shame. And we need to remember that. Because sometimes I think we present Jesus as just meaning and purpose. But that doesn't count unless we are dealt with our forgiveness and our sin. That's where our real problem is. That's where it really counts. We need to deal with that. And when that's dealt with, then we do know what our purpose and our meaning is. All those domino things that keep going on and on and on need to be dealt with and finalised in Jesus. And you see, we need to keep that in mind because that's what the whole Old Testament is pointing to. And that's what the Gospels come in and the first things that they show is that Jesus is the one that changes that and deals with that. So Jesus in Mark, in Math, in Mark chapter 1, we've had bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, all through the Old Testament. Bad news, bad news, bad news. And Mark says the first thing is good news. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, all the promises, we heard promises, promises in through the Old Testament, promises, promises, promises. What does Luke say to us? The fulfilment of the promises is Jesus. It's here, it's him. Uh, in John, we find out that it's actually a whole new recreation. The creation has been destroyed back in Genesis chapter 1, but Jesus is the only one who recreates it. He's going to be in the beginning was the Word was God, and the God was, with, was the Word, uh, was with the God, and the Word was God. But Jesus is there, and he's going to bring about a recreation, a new world. You see, the whole Old Testament points to Jesus and finds its fulfilment in Jesus. Now we need to remember that because if anyone takes you to the Old Testament and doesn't show you that, they've got it wrong. It's probably a little while ago, but I was talking to someone recently, uh, sorry, a little while ago, and they came across to a church here and they said, it's great because we're getting something from the New Testament. I've been in a church for the last number of years and all we're hearing is about the Old Testament. Because all we're hearing is about how these things that happened back there are for us now. See, people go to the Old Testament and they take it out and they say all these promises are for you here and now, but they miss Jesus because he's the fulfilment of it all. We've got to be careful, don't we? Because that's the key. That's, what the whole, that's why every gospel starts with those things to show that all this stuff, the Old Testament is coming and bang, here he is. Don't miss it. So if you're in the Old Testament, you, you've got to get to Jesus. You can't stay there. <laughs> we weren't meant to stay there. That's not God's story. You've got to bring you to Jesus. That's why it's there, to bring you to him. 
And as you go through Jesus' story, you're going to see that the big factor in all of this, where it is leading to us, is to the cross. Because it's at the cross that our sin and shame is dealt with. That little baby, born in a barn, is going to a cross to save us and bring us forgiveness. To deal with our brokenness that we feel deep inside and can only be dealt with by him. And he then can transform us and renew us and give us meaning and purpose and fulfilment but it's got to be dealt with by sin and forgiveness first. That's the gospel message. That's why you call him Jesus because he will save them from their sins. That's why it says this is the blood of my new covenant that was for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what Jesus does. That's what he brings to you and I. We don't have to cover up the shame. We know the shame's there. We need to hand it over to Jesus. We don't have to hold on to it. We can give it to him and then he can renew us and change us. And we don't have to have that shame anymore because he takes it for us. On the cross. That's the fulfilment of it all. Now next week we're going to spend a lot more time looking at that specifically and uh, Liz is going to be bringing that to us. Uh, but we're going to get there. But this year we want to see that it, this today what we want to see is it all comes down to Jesus. It's all about him. The promises, the blessings all come to fulfilment in him. And in him, we actually become part of that. That's the phenomenal part about it, is that we're actually brought into that. We're brought into that blessing and fulfilment and promise because in Jesus, we become part of his family, that we become part of Abraham's offspring. That's who you and I are. When we become a trust in Jesus, it's not to do with your heritage or your genealogy, it's to become with Jesus that we actually become part of Abraham's family. Jesus says, I can make Abraham's family out of these rocks. You don't have to be Jewish. It could be anybody. If you put your trust in Jesus, you've been brought into it. You become part of his family. That is a wonderful thing. That's why we think uh, the love of the Father at the beginning. That we can call him Father because we're part of his family in him. So what I want to leave us with today is just a couple of things I want to say. As we're part of his family, then what are some of the traits that we should have? Some of the habits that we're to have knowing that we are part of his family. I don't know about you, what uh, habits you have in your family, but we all have habits in our family. Uh, is it going for a bike ride? Is it watching a particular movie at Christmas time? Is it what you do at uh, dinner time afterwards? Do you sit around and talk or you just go and uh, do other things? We all have habits, don't we? We used to have a habit in our family that uh, on special nights we'd have our bananas in pyjamas ride and we'd uh, finish dinner, we'd all jump into the car, we'd go down the street uh, we'd buy an ice cream and then we'd go up to the lookout and we'd watch the sun set together on the lookout. And our kids loved it. I don't know whether they still do, but they're a bit older now. But we've got habits, haven't we? We've got things that being part of a family are the habits that we have. And there's some habits that we have as part of God's family. And I just want to bring four of them to you this morning quickly. Uh, and the first one is what I was saying a little bit before about the fact that the whole of the Old Testament 
takes us to Jesus, that he is the fulfilment of all the promises of the Old Testament are found in him. And so we need to read the Bible that way. When you're reading the Bible and you're going through the Old Testament, we need to realise that they're all found, the promises are in him. We need to get to Jesus. We need to see how they all take us to him. So when you read the Old Testament, keep that in mind. Don't try and read the Old Testament and say, well, I'm going to apply that directly to me. You've got to go through Jesus first and see how he fulfills it. And then when you read the rest of the New Testament, you need to come back to Jesus because it's all pointing back to him. But we need to do that when we're reading the Bible, make sure that we take the one way to Jesus within us. And when we see that one way in Jesus, it brings us to the cross, doesn't it? And out at the cross, we find forgiveness. That actually at the cross, our sin and shame is dealt with and we have now have a new story. We don't have to stay in that old story anymore. We have a new story. We have a new family. But the old story of sin and shame is no more held onto us. It's been dealt with in Jesus. And now we have his story to live in his story. That's the hope we've got, haven't we? As Karen said, if you don't have that hope, you've only got your story that you've got that you're in at the moment, and that's just broken. And sin and shame just keeps coming back. Keeps repeating itself on us. We keep going down the one-way street, keep banging against stuff all the time. But in Jesus, he turns us round. That's what repent means. It means to complete turn around and go the other way, the one way with him. Because he deals with that. So we become part of his family because we've been forgiven. That is so good a hope that you and I have been forgiven. And when we've been forgiven, we've been brought into a family. We have a new family. We have God's family. We've actually been brought into that. Our family extends. We have our blood family and we have our God family extends into that as well. We want to try and live within that, don't we? And live that out together. And we're not perfect. No family is perfect, is it? None of our families are exactly as we would want them to be. Uh, and we're not either. But we've been forgiven. And we're in that family because of Jesus and we don't need to keep putting shame or sin on each other because that's been dealt with by Jesus. We've been forgiven, we're free, we have a new story and we want to live that new story out with each other as a new family. And part of that new family means that uh, we want to gather together to keep telling us that story, keep reminding us of that story. It's great when we gather together, isn't it? And the Bible tells us that we need to keep doing that and don't not do that. Do not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now you're here, so that's great. But it's probably not aimed at you, and this is the first time you've been here in four weeks, and maybe it is. <laughs> but it's aimed at all of us, really, isn't it? Uh, we want to gather together because we want to tell each other the story of Jesus. We want to encourage each other that we've got a new story in Jesus. We want to tell each other we've been forgiven by Jesus that sin and shame no longer have control over us, Jesus does. And we want to live that out and share that and go out and tell that. And it's really hard when you're by yourself to do that. Because you start thinking other things. 
And your brain runs off on other tangents and then the other goes off and it continues on. But we want to gather with us together. We want to do that on Sundays. We want to gather together on Sundays. That means that one week in four is not good enough. I don't know what is good enough because we're not about being good enough. But if we want to gather together as family, then we want to be together as much as we possibly can. We want to gather together on Sundays. We want to gather together during the week in our gospel communities. We want to gather together at other times and be with one another and pray with one another and keep telling each other the story and encouraging each other in the story, reminding each other that in the story so that we can go and live that story amongst the world around us. Because the world around us wants to take us off that story continuously. But together we want to be in that story. Reminding us it's all about Jesus together. We want to gather together as much as we possibly can. Uh, Kurt Thompson, we've been reading some of his stuff in our gospel communities, and uh, he says this, isolation is one of shame's primary methods. We seclude ourselves off and take ourselves out, and we might feel that's what we need to do. And there are moments when you need to do that, but you can't stay there. Because in isolation, sin and shame breed. We need to retell the stories of our lives in the light of Jesus. That's why we get together, isn't it? So that sin and shame cannot breed. But we retell and retell and retell the stories. And we retell and do that because the other habit is that we're going to be forgiving of each other in that. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, if you happen to stay awake at the last NCCC on the very last session, you might have realised I was speaking. Uh, if you were awake at that stage, I got to do the last one. And in that last one, we spoke a lot about forgiveness. We talked about where Jesus says... Uh, he's asked, how much should I forgive someone? And, and Jesus says, 70 times 70. He says, that's continuously what he's saying. We need to continually forgive. And we can continually forgive because God has forgiven us first. And he came up and he said, didn't we, that forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. And when we're not forgiving people then that is when we're getting into that isolation and shame and sin and we're either pouring that on ourselves or we're pouring that on the person that we think that's hurt us. And then bitterness grows and then division grows and then it either comes out in anger or comes out in broken relationships because when Jesus speaks about that, he's speaking about it in the sense that it's about restoration. Forgiven people are forgiving people. And in a family, we need to work hard at that, don't we? Because we do hurt each other. Intentionally, unintentionally, we do. And we're going to be sorry for that and repent when we do that. But also we need to be people who are forgiving within that. So we need to seek forgiveness when we've done wrong. We need to accept forgiveness when it's offered to us. And we need to offer forgiveness even if someone hasn't worked out that they've done that. And if they haven't, then we need to actually be forgiving within that still. Because that needs to be part of us because that is the big thing that Jesus has done for us. He's forgiven us more than we can possibly imagine. And he desires that we live to follow him, then we need to be forgiving more than we can possibly imagine. 
habits of those that are part of God's family. We need to be people that see that everything is fulfilled in Jesus. It's all pointing to him one way. And know people that we've been forgiven and we have a new story in Jesus. We need to be a people that gather together to keep telling each other that story and encouraging each other in that story. And as we do that, we need to be forgiving each other and encouraging each other to be continually forgiving each other because that's how we live out the story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have dealt with our innermost problem. Our sin and our shame, Lord, has been dealt by Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for that, Lord. We are so sorry for the times that we've rebelled against you, for the times that we've forgotten that, the times that we've ignored that. Well, we want to thank you that you have taken us in Jesus and made us new people, that you've given us a new story, that you've brought us into your family. And in your family, Lord, we are to live out our lives pointing one way to you, lives that show that we're forgiven, lives that are forgiving, lives that keep telling others around us, the great story of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we can't do that by ourselves. We need your spirit, Lord, within us to change our hearts and our minds and take us out of our isolation, take us out of our shame, take us out of our hiding and bring us out into the true light of Jesus, Lord. The true light of Jesus and to live that amongst your people and in this community and this world. Lord, we pray that you will do that and do a mighty work within each of us, Lord. And do a mighty work amongst us and with us so that, Lord, our lives are one-way signs to Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.